are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and we have Brennan back in studio with us, and Jody and Dave, and we'll hear from Hank and Craig a little bit later. They're going to talk about the finale of White Lotus and the Golden Globes and some other stuff. We got comics and TV to talk about, but let's start with comics. And since you haven't been here for a little while, Brennan, why don't you go first and let us know what you think of the new Miracle Man? All right. So brand new Miracle Man um, had just come out. There's an issue zero and number one. And it is Miracle Man, The Silver Age, written by Neil Gaiman with art by uh, Mark Birmingham. Now, when I first saw it, I just kind of thought, oh, wow, I haven't seen a Neil, Neil Gaiman comic in quite a while. Not saying that he hasn't been writing, but between the Sandman series and American Gods and all his TV stuff, I just sort of assumed he hadn't been doing a lot of comics lately. Um, and so when I saw it, I thought this is like an intriguing title. Uh, keep in mind, Miracle Man was one of those, oh shoot, what's it called? When the, when the character no longer has copyright, public domain character that Alan Moore took over in the 80s and did his version of Miracle Man, which was his forerunner to the Watchmen. Um, so he took this really innocent character and made it gritty and over the top. Um, if memory serves, I think Miracle Man takes Kid Miracle Man or whatever it was called and burns his eyes out using his heat vision. It was really, really dark. If you watch The Boys at all, the main character of The Boys is basically Miracle Man. If they made a movie of it, that's exactly, they should just recast him as that, as that character. So this is Miracle Man, The Silver Age, and we have young Miracle Man, uh, a character created by Neil Gaiman, that um, has been uh, frozen or in a, some kind of coma or something, you know, for a long time. And now it's the 21st century and it's a dystopia and he's trying to figure out how he belongs in his new world. Now, what I didn't realize until after reading it and doing some research, issue number one and two, they call it Miracle Man, the Silver Age Remastered because it was originally written and drawn back in 1989. So uh, Gaiman and Buckingham started the story. They got two issues done and never had a chance to finish it. So now it's 30 years later and issue number three, which is coming out December 28th. And with the research I did, they said the most anticipated comic in comic history, which I'm not sure if it is because I don't think people really care about Miracle Man that much. However, they issue number three, will have the first original artwork in 30 some odd years. So what I find fascinating is that, now, now the script has been done from the 80s. Um, did they go back and tweak it? Ah, probably, maybe not, I'm not sure. But the fact they're able to recontinue the story I think is really interesting. In Neil Gaiman style, there's a great amount of dialogue to the arts credit. When you can have two characters talking for over two pages and you're still interested, that takes talent. I have tried to write comics where it's just like people talk for page on page on end. Um, I don't know what to tell the artist to do. So the fact that, um, you know, he can do that so well. Uh, the art's exquisite. The storytelling is great. If it's a character that you don't even really care about, uh, the fact that it's a Neil Gaiman story is really interesting. I'm actually really curious to see what number three will be like because now it's the first original new art and story in 30 years. Now keep in mind, they say it's from the same script that was written back in 1989, but you know, in 30 years, people's style change and develop and things. 
the artist. And I keep going back between, it's, it's Buckingham, isn't it? Is it Mark Buckingham? I believe so. Let's uh, say Buckingham. Sure, we'll go with that. Sure. It's Buckingham or Birmingham. And I'm on my phone without my laptop, so I forget the exact name. Anyway, he even said with issue number three that he really tried to push himself to make it more cinematic, to add some more layers to his artwork and things, which is quite impressive considering he's already done some of uh, Neil Gaiman's best stories from the Sandman and things. So I find it interesting. Uh, I'm not going to say it's one of the best comics I've ever read. However, uh, let's see how the next few issues go and uh, see where it goes. But it is nice to see, you know, have a Neil Gaiman story back out in the universe, just to bring back some of that old Sandman nostalgia. So a uh, great starting off point, if you're interested in the character, I would still go back and get the Alan Moore one and check that one out. Uh, way darker, like I said, very Watchmen-esque, but it would definitely give you two different styles or two different versions of the same character. So definitely worth a check out. And based on the press, I think speculators will be picking it up like crazy. So Maybe order yours now before people buy it and then sit on it, hoping to sell it on eBay. Okay. Well, the next book I want to talk about is actually kind of similar. It's the brand new one shot Batman Spawn came out this week. And this is another one that was done late 80s, early 90s. And uh, now they've just brought this one shot back. It's seemingly simply for the purpose, I think, of putting out variant covers. There's like a dozen different covers to this and then everyone's going gaga over them. But like, I don't know, the story itself is pretty weak. The art's good. I gotta say the art is is quite decent. It, it is pencils by Greg Capullo and then Todd McFarland has written it and has done the inks. So, you know, it's got definitely some talent in it, uh, but it's just kind of like, ugh, the pearls again. So the story is that the Court of Owls have convinced Spawn that for whatever reason, Batman has the link to a portal that can like save his dead wife's soul. And her name also happens to be Martha, same as Batman's mom's name. Anyways, so apparently in Martha's necklace, there's like a pearl that can open this portal and save her soul, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so they confront each other. They have a big fight for a bunch of pages. And then they figure out that basically they're being manipulated by the Court of Owls. And then a bunch of other stuff happens, which I won't say because I don't want to completely spoil it for anybody who's actually interested in this. It was kind of an interesting flip, I guess. I don't like Spawn. I am not a fan. I have tried. I have given him a fair shake so many times. And he's, it's just not my jam. Spawn is just not for me. That's fair. You tried. I've tried. But I do like Batman. This, yeah, it's just kind of like for the amount of effort and talent and time and money that went into this issue, I think that they could have done a heck of a lot better with the story. It's just kind of weak. It's not giving anybody the Batman they really want. It's the Batman back in the alley with the sad memories and... Yeah, yeah, you get the you get the core to owls. Yeah, I think if you are a rookie, like if you don't know anything about Spawn or Batman or the Court of Owls or like the origin story, you're going to be lost here. But there's enough pieces that kind of go together that I guess, yeah, it's like a quick little entertainment. It's a cool looking comic. Like I can see why people would be excited to acquire it. Sure. But it's not, it's not 
very fun to read. I, I was I was laughing at it halfway through while I while I read it, and it definitely that wasn't the reaction it was going for. Um, no, I don't think that is what they wanted, and it's also like pricey. It's like a nine dollar comic, so mm. they're not just giving these things away. I think with the Court of Owls between Superman's Martha and Batman's Martha and Spawn's Martha, they should have like the mob of Marthas, right? And they should. They should get together and go and travel through time and try to solve their own problems. That's a book I think I'd like to see. Get on that, Brennan. Get right in that, baby, because I would read it. Coming soon, the, the mob of Marthas. Ma Martha think, mob. I there we go. I think, I think Netflix would buy it or Hulu or Roku or someone or make the Sorry. comic first and go from there. <laughs> a better comic uh, that I read, it's a beautiful oversized book. It's called A Vicious Circle. And it is artwork by Lieber Majo. So like, honestly, this guy could just illustrate the phone book and we would all be happy. Written by Mattson Tomlin. And the idea of it is there's two time travelers. Um, Sean Thacker, he's a trained assassin. He's come from the future. And there's another guy who's come from a different version of the universe. And there's this super crazy machine that like, Sean Thacker has been sent to destroy and the other guy has been sent to defend. And every time that they go through this process, they, they basically have to like have a showdown. The art is stunning. And when they travel through time with each other, it's gorgeous. It spans like 22nd century Tokyo to 1950s New Orleans to dinosaurs to medieval times it is beautiful and i'm i don't even really care about the story that much it's just the, the some of the like the realism of the drawings is just so good that it really doesn't matter what it, what, what the book is about it is a cool ambitious story but uh like it starts out with this realistic looking uh sort of portraiture black and white style and the whole comic could have been done in that style and it would have been amazing and really impressive. But as the uh, time travel starts to become more a part of the story, um, we really get an artist like flexing out some visual skill in this book. That, that might be the best artwork I've seen in a comic book this year. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. So uh, if you want to pick this one up, you should. Uh, it's from Boom Studios. This is the first one, and it's probably a little mini series. But uh, anything Libra Majo does is just gold. So yeah, that's a winner. Spawn and Batman, not so much. Okay, we're gonna throw things over to Hank and Craig and hear their take on White Lotus, Golden Globes, and other things. And then when we come back, Dave and I are gonna wrap up uh, the Rick and Morty season finale. So. Take it away, fellas, and thank you, Brennan, for uh, tuning in tonight. Oh, I'll be back next week for sure. Excellent. All right. Take it away, Craig and Hank. Hey, everybody. It's Craig Sillifin for Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM, which matches the T-shirt I'm wearing today. And uh, I am here with my good friend and co-driver of the sleigh as we head into this holiday season. Hank Cruz. Bells, jingle bells, cruising jingle, all the, at four hundred knots. Cruising it. Okay, here's a theory I heard this week. Ooh. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. The yes. theory is 
Uh, you know how in the beginning he flies the Dark Star and he goes Mach 10.3 and then you see it in the sky kind of blow up and he shows up at that like diner like looking all disheveled? Yeah. Well, you can't really eject from something that's going Mach. Even if you were going Mach 1, you'd be pulverized. So oh, true. Now, there are explanations for that. You don't really see the whole thing happen. It happens at a distance. But the theory is that he actually dies in that scene and the rest of the movie is like, uh, you know, like a post-death dream that he has which explains why it follows the beats of the first movie so much like it's sort of a fantasy in his brain uh why he makes good with uh goose's son who also happens to really look like like his costume design looks exactly like goose all that stuff uh you know why some of those little plot contrivances make sense because he's just dreaming it he's dead oh Now I got to go watch it again to go yeah. watch it for that. Yeah. But apparently this is a thing like certain critics are like, I think they're just having fun with it, but they're taking it like seriously. So it's not just like a dumb internet thing, but uh, anyway, yeah, we got a few things to talk about this week. Uh, we should quickly mention the last episode, the finale of season two of the white Lotus aired. We won't give any spoilers here or anything today. There is a season three coming uh, at some point. So probably I'm assuming next year or so. Uh, I, Loved it. I think the season was great. I know there was some people kind of saying it wasn't as good as the first season, and I think it definitely had a different energy than the first season, but uh, ultimately I think that it was maybe even a smarter season and wrapped up uh, in a mostly uh, excellent manner. There may have been one or two little things where I was like, wanted to yell at Portia and Tanya a few times for making or <laughs> not doing certain things that they should have done that, you know, would have uh, changed the outcome of certain other things. But I mean, that's a minor nitpick in a show that was pretty amazing. What did you think oh, of the finale? Amazing. Uh, oh, I, I, I loved it. And they did wrap up uh, pretty much every character, but the, uh, my two favorite characters were the um, Italian uh, escorts or call yeah. girls there. And they really, to me, they were the truest characters of the show. And I know the whole thing involving money, you know, but it's uh, fantastic. I can't wait for season three. Uh, it is going to be probably in my top three shows of the year. Um, I think the bear might be first, but it's going to be either second or third in there. I just got to think about it a little bit more. So White Lotus, amazing. Yeah, it would definitely be in my top couple of shows for the year, too. So if you haven't watched it, go check it out. You could start at season one, obviously, and they're both great seasons. Uh, I also watched the first episode uh, last night, actually. Uh, so I've only watched one episode of this series. It's an FX series on, I think it's on Disney+. Plus. It's called Fleischman is in Trouble, and it stars uh, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, Claire Danes, Adam Brody, and it's basically about a doctor. He's recently divorced. Uh, he sort of finds himself immersed in the world of app-based dating. And he's starting to find successes, you know, in bed that he never found in his youth because he's, you know, was always this kind of nerdy. I mean, he's played by Jesse Eisenberg. So he was kind of this nerdy guy when he was younger. You know, nobody wanted to sleep with that. But now that he's a 40-something, you know, doctor, like he's got a lot more prestige and all these women want to, uh, you know, get down with him. Uh, so he's sort of exploring that. And then the at the end of the first episode, bit of a spoiler, but this is the concept for the whole series. So not really. Uh, so at the end of the first episode, though, his wife, ex-wife, played by Claire Danes, uh, seems to disappear. And I don't know exactly what happens after that. She just she doesn't pick up the kids and she doesn't uh, 
uh, return his calls or anything. So like something's going wrong. So I don't know if this is going to suddenly veer into being a crime show or if it's more just like now he's stuck sort of dealing with this family situation while he's trying to explore his romantic life. Uh, it, I enjoyed it actually. It's not necessarily normally the kind of show I would watch. It's probably something my wife would more enjoy. Uh, there was kind of an annoying voiceover all the way through it, uh, which from Lizzie Kaplan, which kind of was sort of cheap writing, but overall I think it was pretty compelling and I was definitely interested in watching the, the next episode. So I'll uh, keep you updated and go from there. And I'll that's on Disney plus. I think it's on Disney plus. Yeah. It's an FX show. So that, that, yeah, that makes sense. Fox, yeah, cool. FX, Disney. Uh, so I know we were going to talk, I'll let you lead this, but we're going to talk a little bit about the Golden Globe nominations. Oh, yeah, the Golden Globes. You remember the award show that nobody cares about? Yeah, well, um, the one that was, yeah. And they, then it, it got shut down there, and yeah. then now it's back because NBC's like, okay, we'll broadcast it again because I'm sure the Hollywood Foreign Press gave NBC a lot of money to broadcast it again. It's like, all right. Um, so the nominations came out. I know we don't have time to talk about all of them, but uh, um, the one thing that ticks me off at the start is that there are things that are nominated on here that haven't been released yet. Right. So I'm looking at the nominees. It's like, well, I can't go. Oh, well, that's a great because they haven't been released yet. But best motion picture drama, uh, Avatar: The Way of Water, um, is number one. Then Elvis, The Fablemans, uh, Top Gun: Maverick for best motion picture drama. Because uh, I didn't realize it was a drama, but there, I guess there were some dramatic moments in there, right? Sure. Uh, and then especially if he died and then the whole rest of the movie, then it is a drama then. Yeah. I mean, it can't be an actual movie. And then is it pronounced tar? tar? I think it's tar, but I, yeah, I actually have a screener for this, but I haven't watched it yet. But so um, where are the rest of the movies? Because there was uh, some other great movies of the year that um, I thought that they were going to go like Oscars and release more for best picture. Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I find this whole thing like maybe I pay a little bit more attention to the television side of the globes. Like the Oscars are enough of a farce, let alone these right? stupid awards. Like, because this is just still like a like like honestly, who cares? Yet in the end, we're gonna end up. I'll watch it, but it's like yeah. just to get mad. But uh, I don't see Will Smith's new movie on here. Uh, is that a snub? Probably. Oh, a snub. maybe. Yeah, I bet you it is. I mean, I think it I could mean, be a snub. Uh, he surprising. wasn't. Uh, he's not nominated for actor either. Snub. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not surprising. Yeah. Um, so performance by an actress, there's Kate Blanchett uh, for Tar, Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light, uh, Viola Davis for The Woman King, watched The Woman King a little while ago. Uh, don't know why that's on here. Uh, Anna de Armas for Blonde and then Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Uh, um, but uh, really? Uh, Viola Davis, huh? Okay. All right. So these movies must have done well overseas, some of them. And that's Could why the be. Hollywood Foreign Press is nominating. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but actor, we've got the guy that played Elvis. So Austin Butler, uh, then uh, Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Although The Whale itself, I hear, isn't a very good movie. But I guess he's great. But The Whale itself. So that's not nominated for the movie. He also said he wouldn't attend the ceremony despite the buzz because he alleges that he was sexually assaulted by one of the former presidents, yeah. uh, Philip Burke. So he won't oh, even be there. Uh, have you heard of a movie called The Sun that Hugh Jackman is in? Uh, I saw the trailer for it, actually, oh. but I haven't seen it. I, I guess Hugh Jackman's yet. nominated and uh, Bill Nye uh, for Living. And Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. I don't know what the movie The Inspection is. Haven't heard of it. So uh, I don't know. 
I haven't heard of that one. And then uh, quickly, the comedy movies, Babylon, which is coming out here, I think, Christmas, um, the one with Brad Pitt uh, and Margot Robbie, the old school Hollywood one. And then uh, the Banshees of uh, Inishirin. Saw that one. Loved that movie. That was fantastic. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I didn't realize that was a comedy, but okay. Uh, Glass Onion, The Knives Out Mystery, which Netflix released for a limited release, so it could be nominated for films. Um, and then Triangle of Sadness. But I guess Glass Onion, I think it comes out this, uh, maybe it comes out today. Oh, if not, it'll be a week. Netflix, right? yeah. 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 And I saw Triangle of Sadness. It was, uh, it's not for everybody, but it was one of my favorite movies of the year wheat um so next time i'm sure we could oh and comedy uh actors and actresses leslie manville are uh, for mrs harris goes to paris margot robbie for babylon uh anya taylor joy for the menu i love the menu uh emma thompson for good luck to you leo grand don't know what that is michelle uh you for everything everywhere all at once and then uh, dudes, we got Diego Calva for Babylon, Daniel Craig for The Glass Onion, uh, Adam Driver, White Noise, Colin Farrell for The Banshees Movie, and Ray Fiennes for The Menu. And I think next time we'll have time to talk about the TV. But uh, uh, Colin Farrell was fantastic uh, in The Banshees Movie. Um, everybody was, actually. And Ray Fiennes, he was great in The Menu. But um, most of these seem kind of weak to me because there was a lot of other you know, movies that had stronger performances than these, but yeah, well, exactly. Like even looking at some of the TV ones, I'm glad to see, I won't jump too far ahead, but I was glad to see Jennifer Coolidge and Aubrey Plaza for white Lotus, but there's a couple other weird ones in there. And it's like, uh, I forget her name, but the, the, the actress that played Daphne think was kind of snubbed there too. I think she should have picked up a nomination for, I mean, right. She's just probably not as well known as the other two. So they didn't bother, but but I don't, yeah. uh, so hopefully the Oscars do a little bit better with their nominations. But again, like you said, it's a farce too. So the whole thing's a joke. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, well, that's our time. We're going to throw back to Jody and everybody. Have a good weekend. Thank you guys. So yeah, big season finale for White Lotus, which I could care less about, but you really liked it. I did. I really liked it. There's already talk of a season three not too much more to say about it. It's like, it, that's the big hot topic in, in pop culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what I most liked about it, I think, was that like, I, I don't, I, I have no interest in soap operas, but this basically was a seven episode soap opera and a really, really good one. Exciting for like every episode, no, no dips. Okay, well, I will let you watch season three on your own. All right. As you watch season two. I believe when we watched episode one of season one, your reaction was, I don't care about all these rich people. Yes, that is exactly what I said. It's, it's a defensible yeah. stance. So anyway, lot, there's so much great TV that it's hard for me to give any time to mediocre TV. Sure, fair. But TV that I love is Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, the season finale, episode 10, came out this week and was awesome and wrapped up a, like a lot of threads from earlier episodes in a really clever way that I appreciated. I never really thought about what would happen if you dropped a lightsaber, you know, and it like started dropping through the Earth's crust down through the Earth in towards the Earth's core. That, like, that's like they really took a funny what if and built an entire season finale out of that one kind of what if gag. Yes, uh, they did. Yeah, so Rick makes or gives 
finds on an alternate universe a real Jedi lightsaber and gives it to Morty for Christmas. Because it, he can. Because he can, because he's Rick, because he's the smartest man in the universe. And it is a Christmas episode, which was kind of timely and nice. Yeah, that was, I don't know if they've ever done that before. Well, well yes, because uh, Anatomy Park is a Christmas episode. Oh, yeah, because they, they're in a Santa. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they he gets this lightsaber, but he accidentally, when he's playing with it, he drops it perfectly vertical and it starts to head towards the earth's uh, center and that's gonna like make the earth explode so there's all this drama around it it's pretty fun it's a funny concept it and, is a and, funny concept and it, it's kind of like refreshing too that you know they didn't they don't, they don't make a big deal out of some big cliffhanger the way they did in like season two and season three it feels like they're treating this like a show that's just gonna be around for a long time which is what we really hope will happen yes and, and they're not necessarily taking on any big season long arcs or anything like that and they even kind of comment once in a while when they sort of break that fourth wall and rick talks about like where the next season will be heading and it they always mention something about like sort of keeping it loose and being able to follow a crazy idea like the vertically dropped lightsaber once in a while yes they can do that but they do set the table for next season in this at the end of this episode uh where they tell you what's going to happen next year if you can trust that like it, I, I think you can i yeah. think it's reliable uh one nice piece that kind of ties every season together is that they did at the end of the credits you have a visit with Mr. Poopy Butthole and where he is in his life, which... <laughs> always good to check in. Always good to check in, yeah. I, I also like that, uh, I mean, there's always been great voice work on this series, but this season it seemed like the celebrity profiles of the voice work like kind of took a step up. Uh, maybe it was just because there were a lot of people we really like taking part in the show, but it seems like Susan Sarandon might be becoming more of like a regular character with her, you know, maybe like playing the role of Rick's psychiatrist. Um, and we also got an episode where um, both Robert... Uh, uh, Webb and David Mitchell appeared yes. uh, with the Sun Knights. Yeah, very recognizable voices from our comedy past, being fans of like that Mitchell and Webb look and peep show and lots of other funny stuff that those two have done. So it's great to see that like someone like Justin Roiland can be like reaching out to these comedy stars that he's obviously fans of and you know, it looks like maybe they're fans of his too, because that's kind of what happens with a show like this. It's like, used to be everybody wanted to get their spot on The Simpsons. Right. And maybe maybe Rick and Morty's heading that way too. I think so. Well, whatever they do, I'm going to keep watching because I love it. It's great. It was a good season. It has not slipped. No, not at all. We look forward to this. We get like about, you know, 10 Sundays a year where we get to watch a new episode. And one of my favorite things is when it's over, you get to kind of binge the season then mm -hmm. and watch it all in a night or two and sort of pick through some of the things that, that they did that, you know, maybe it wasn't too easy to pick up on the first time. True. Yeah. Lots of little Easter eggs to discover. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode for the week. You know where to find us here every Friday on CFCR 90.5 FM at 6 p.m. And in the meantime, keep your dupes up.